This week on The Chris Stefanik Show, I'm talking to Gia Chacon. Did you know there are more martyrdoms in the 20th century than in all the other centuries of Christianity combined? It's true. It's really important that we become aware of what's going on in the world right now. Not only so we could be inspired by these stories of faith that are happening right under our noses, but also so we can work for a better world and so we could be on the watch for trends in Western civilization that seem to tolerate violence and intolerance against Christians. All that and more this week on The Chris Stefanik Show. Gia Chacon, thank you so much for carving some time out to be with us. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for giving a platform to the plight of persecuted Christians around the world. Yeah, I, I was just in Florida, and I was a, a, the place that um, the first mass was said in North America, and also the first martyrs in North America. And it's it, their story is really moving, but most people haven't heard of them. Uh, but what's more shocking is most people haven't heard of what's going on in the world right now with people being martyred. Because a lot of us think, including myself, we think of the great martyrs of the church and we think of the martyrs of ancient Rome and then the martyrs of this, like the, the new missionaries who came to the, to the new world or were spreading Christianity for the first time. And then we presume it's a thing of the past. Totally. Um, yeah. How wrong are we? We're actually living in an era where there are more martyrs than any other time in church history. So there are more Christians who are being targeted and killed for their faith than even in the times of the apostles and the early church. And um, just to share some statistics, according to Open Doors, which is an international um, persecution watchdog, there are over 360 million Christians around the world who face high levels of persecution. So wow. we're listening to this and we're thinking, okay, what does that mean? High levels of persecution. It means that Christians of all denominations, so Catholic and Protestant, are facing imprisonment, loss of their businesses, torture, and even death solely because of their faith in Christ. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Oh, it's, it it's, totally it's, is. We, we, again, people presume this is a thing of the past, but it's actually worse than it's ever been. It's um, worse than it's ever been, and it's actually increasing every year. So actually, right now we're in a 30-year, like in this 30-year time frame, we're actually at the highest point of persecution in the last 30 years. Um, and actually, right now, what we're seeing is an increase of violent persecution against Christians. So um, some places that this is taking place, for example, in Nigeria, I'm sure many of us have seen some of the recent headlines. Um, just Palm Sunday last year, we saw a church massacre um, where violent extremists came into a mass, a Sunday mass, and killed churchgoers. But actually in Nigeria, just this year alone, we've seen over 1,200 Christians killed in the first 100 days of the year. So we actually have, I think it's 99% um, of the violence in Nigeria is um, against Christians. And it's not just happening in Nigeria, it's in the Middle East. Of course, in Iraq and Syria, we saw a Christian genocide. In one generation, Chris, one generation, we saw an 80% decrease in the Christian population in Iraq and Syria. And mind you, Iraq and Syria are some of where, it's where some of the first Christians were. So I think a lot of times in the United States and maybe in other, you know, westernized countries, we think of Christianity as like the Catholicism in Europe and maybe even like, you know, Christians from the United States being 
missionary Christians in the missionary church. But actually in the Middle East, this is like historically um, some of the first Christians in the birthplace of Christianity. So in one generation, we saw an 80% decrease in the Christian population there. And it's continuing to increase every year um, in the recent years. Gia, why is no one talking about this? And I'm going to get to your organization and what you're doing to raise awareness in a minute. But as someone who's given your life to that, this must drive you crazy that people aren't talking about this. That if any other group, if 1,200 members of pretty much any other community you could think of were killed this year, it'd be all over the news. Why does it seem like no one cares in the Western world? It's a great question. I think that there's a few answers, but I think what it boils down to is that it's not politically correct to talk about Christian suffering, especially in this ultra secular society that we're living in. It's becoming increasingly hostile toward Christians. There's like a growing anti-Christian sentiment, even in the United States and definitely throughout Europe and Canada. Um, But it's not popular to talk about Christian suffering. And also, it's politically incorrect to talk about Christian persecution. Why? Because when we talk about Christians being persecuted, we have to answer the question, who is persecuting Christians? And right now, the top um, persecutors of Christians are China and North Korea, so communist countries, and also radical Islam. Frankly, it's politically incorrect to call out radical Islam as a persecutor of Christianity. So I would say that those are the two reasons. Um, But even within our communities of faith, Chris, for some reason, our pastors and our priests aren't talking about this issue at um, the level that they should be. And when it comes to the mainstream media and secular news, Christian persecution is a human rights issue, and it should be treated with the same level of urgency as any other issue. But unfortunately, because they are Christian, it's not being talked about. So there's a fear um, that at first doesn't fit a narrative, right? And this is correct. This is the the overly simplistic narrative that everyone has of of history and of one another right now. Uh, that everything is black and white, good and bad, right? So you look at the the history of Western civilization, and college students are taught uh, it's all colonialist, it, which is therefore all evil, and that Christianity had nothing good to bring to to the, to the new world, for instance. That's the narrative they're living out of. So this idea that Christians could be victims when Christians are inherently bad, it just doesn't fit. They don't have to do with that information. And then I then I could see the, the fear of, uh, quote, Islamophobia, right? Um, as if talking totally. about lead people to hate all Muslims, which right. could happen if, with, with a very ignorant person. But uh, yeah, how do you respond to that? So... I mean, you, first of all, you hit it right on the nose. I mean, we've seen comments on our social media when we're sharing real stories. So a lot of times these are firsthand accounts or um, we get we have some people on the ground who are reporting as to what's happening. For example, we shared a video of churches being targeted in Pakistan. Actually, um, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen churches being burned, crosses being removed, um, even church. I mean, Christian homes being targeted by radical extremists in Pakistan. And so we shared a video of it. And we actually had several comments on that video on Instagram of people saying, well, this is because of, you know, white Christianity and Christians somehow deserve it. Or this is what they get because of X, Y, Z, whatever these reasons are. Um, So that absolutely is a very popular narrative. But 
you know, extremism is bad for all people of faith, whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim, or maybe you're Buddhist, whatever it is. Yeah. Extremism hurts all people of faith. And we actually see this, for example, in China, although Christians are dis disproportionately targeted by the Chinese government, um, we still see this communist agenda that wants to control religion, um, erase religion if they could, but if they can't erase it, they want to use it as a means to consolidate power. So um, in China right now, they're actually have uh, conducting this 10-year plan to sinicize religion where they're going into churches and mosques and they're actually changing Holy Scripture in the Bible. They're changing the Quran. They're replacing uh, the cross with pictures of President Xi. Um, they're changing the Ten Commandments in the Bible. And if you don't align with this, if you don't agree to the government's campaign and you don't submit to it, then you can face imprisonment. You can um, be targeted by even having your electricity and your water supply cut off. And um, you can also be sentenced to life in a labor camp. So it's very serious. Um, but again, extremism is bad for all people of faith. So we really shouldn't be afraid to call out extremism wherever we see it. I want to circle back in a minute to to what you're bringing up with those comments you're getting on social media that are indicative of a growing um, a, a cultural trend to tolerate intolerance toward Christians. It's a scary thing, and it, and it should be disturbing to us. Uh, but before we go back into that, what it, to, to sum up your work for us and tell us what you're doing to raise awareness of persecutions of Christians globally and how people can find out more about it. Absolutely. So when I first discovered what Christians were really suffering around the world because of their faith, and um, I began researching into persecution. And actually, before I started a nonprofit organization, I had the honor of traveling with my grandmother, who has run her own nonprofit for over 40 years, focusing on international crisis relief. So I began working with her. And a lot of the work that we were doing was in the Middle East. Um, and some of the work we were doing was with the Coptic Christians in Egypt. And in 2018, we did work with Iraqi and Syrian refugees. So I began having a firsthand experience on the ground in the Middle East where Christians are being persecuted for their faith, hearing their stories, hearing what they suffered because of their faith, and especially the Christians who suffered under ISIS. I mean, devastation and terror like we can't even comprehend in the United States that partnered with the research into persecution that I was doing and understanding the scale of persecution, I began asking the question, why is nobody talking about this? If Christians are being persecuted at the scale that they are, why isn't this one of the number one issues that's being discussed in the media, but also in our communities of faith, both Catholic and Protestant? And so through that, For the Martyrs was born, which is a nonprofit organization that seeks to raise awareness about the crisis of Christian persecution, advocate for religious freedom, and provide aid to suffering Christians around the world. So um, we believe that knowledge inspires action. In order for anyone to be able to do something about Christian suffering and Christian persecution, they have to know what's happening. So one of the ways that we raise awareness is through social media. Of course, we try to get news outlets to talk about this, but we also have an annual March for the Martyrs, which is a march to stand in solidarity with persecuted Christians, and that's held every year in Washington, D.C. I'm just so, uh, how old are you, Gia? 26. I, I'm just, uh, and you've been doing this for how long? Since I was 23. 
<laughs> yeah, I just want to applaud you for your the audacity of seeing such a problem and the scale of the problem and to to I mean a lot of times we we experience that and you feel so finite in the face of so much evil and a and a cultural trend like people tolerating looking the other way from this and 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 people think well what could I do but you said the same thing in a different tone and what can I do <laughs> just and you, totally. you something uh it's amazing was was it your grandma who inspired that in you that that removed that I can't do this filter and said I'm going to jump in and, and help make things better Absolutely. I mean, growing up, hearing the stories of my grandmother's travels, and actually, she had been working with the persecuted since the 80s. She actually smuggled Bibles into communist China multiple times, if you can believe that. Yeah. And so she just had this amazing legacy of seeing crisis and responding to it. So it was very normal growing up and in my family to have that example. Um, If you see a problem to respond to it, what can we do? Anything that's in our power. Um, But also, I think that the Lord laid a heavy burden on my heart for the persecuted, and I couldn't sit on the sidelines. I had this ever-growing burden for the persecuted church, and I was willing to do something about it. Although in the beginning, I had no idea what it was going to look like, and I didn't initially think, okay, I'm going to start a nonprofit organization. But I thought, okay, what do I have the power to do? I can at least start talking about this. So I started sharing about it on social media even before For the Martyrs was founded, I was sharing about this on Instagram and Twitter. And it was interesting because for as much backlash some of the posts and the sharings were getting and people, you know, the hate comments or whatever, there were probably 10 times more positive response or people sending me messages saying, I cannot believe this is happening. I never heard about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really a process that started with a burden from the Lord, definitely the example from my grandmother and learning from her on how to run a nonprofit organization and start programs on the ground overseas. Um, and yeah, and just saying, we do have something. All of us have the power to do something about the injustices and the crisis in the world. And actually, you know, what's interesting is You would think that when you're talking to someone who's persecuted, especially someone, for example, who is a refugee as a result of extremism, like the Christians who suffered under ISIS and in the Middle East, when you ask them, what is your greatest need? You would think that their response, especially being that they're refugees now, they're displaced. They have nothing. They don't have a home. They don't have a job. um, They have no source of income. You would think that their response would be like, we need groceries, money basic necessities, I need a job, but actually the response to that question, when you ask someone who is being persecuted, whether they're in the Middle East or they're from China or wherever they are, almost always they will say, please continue to pray for us and thank you for knowing and caring about our suffering. Mm. So hearing that from the mouth of the persecuted, they need prayer and they desire solidarity Mm. from their brothers and sisters in the United States. I thought, okay, well, I definitely have the power to pray for the persecuted and I can at least use my platform, my influence, whatever it may be to garner solidarity. And then of course, for the martyrs was born as a result of that, but really all of us have the power to pray for the persecuted and to stand in solidarity with them. Mm, It goes so far. People want to be seen. They want to be, they want to be known. Um, I, I, we've done, we do some work in, in Haiti with our nonprofit 
and you know people might say like well, when you go there like you know what good are you doing is it all about you is this uh is this a weird type of tourism where you get to be a hero and it's like no um the the response of people on the ground in those places even though i feel like i have so little to give is thanks for seeing me you know thanks for raising awareness of this of this plight because they right rightly have hope that when people raise awareness that it, it inspires action so thanks for inspiring action um you had said that the stories that people you encounter are incomprehensible suffering uh, that they've been through for their faith. Help us to comprehend it. Uh, could, would you mind sharing some stories of, of things that you've seen and what people have been through for their faith? Absolutely. I met um, this young woman, Chinese Christian. Her father ran a large house church in China. So an underground church, not registered with the government. So basically in China, in order to belong to a church, it has to be a registered church. And as part of that registration approval, the government is going to look at what you're preaching. They're going to look at um, whether or not you're saying anything against the government. They're going to see if what you're preaching falls in line with the communist agenda. Again, going back to this, you know, 10 year plan to synthesize religion, but even before this 10 year plan, you had to register with the church and they actually put cameras inside the church and they're monitoring what the pastor is saying. They're even monitoring who is going to this church and who is leaving. And they're actually giving people social credit scores based on how often they're attending church. Um, you know, if they're running a Bible study, if they're going to a Bible study. So it's a very um, almost sinister persecution of Christians where they're watching you 24 seven and controlling what the church is saying and what pastors are preaching and what um, even, you know, the homilies in the mass are being, which homilies in the mass are being spoken. So anyway, this young woman, her father wanted to run a church without restrictions. So they had an underground church. They didn't want to align with the communist regime and he started a house church. It quickly grew to over 3000 members. Wow. And the Chinese government arrested the father in the middle of the day and then actually arrested this young woman who I met while she had her baby. So she had a 13-month-old baby. They arrested her and her child, put her in solitary confinement where 24 hours a day there were guards watching her. And she was all alone, just her and her baby. And she had no food for her baby, no way to um, change a diaper. She couldn't shower by herself. She was being monitored 24-7 with guards in her room. And so eventually she was released from prison. Her father is still in prison to this day. And she said that she believes that the Chinese government was giving him some sort of pill or medication to make him lose his memory. So mm. he has forgotten members of his family. Um, he's forgotten memories that have happened, just experiences. And basically they made him almost like a zombie. So he's still in prison to this day. Now, 14 years later, she was able to get out of prison and they warned her that they were probably going to arrest her again. So she actually was able to escape China during this period of time where she was released from prison with her 13 month old baby. And she took buses and trains and she traveled through multiple countries where she was able to come to the United States. And now she tells her story of the wow. reality of what's happening. So this is one story, but another story, for example, what's happening or what happened 
under ISIS. I met this young woman who was just 19 years old. I share this story all the time, Chris, but I mean, it's just, this is one of those stories that I think about almost every day. And when I think about why I do what I do, it's for stories like this. So I met this young woman when I was doing work in Jordan. She was an Iraqi refugee, suffered directly under ISIS. And we were going um, house to house, bringing groceries, sitting with the families, hearing their stories and praying with them. And I remember when I entered this particular family's house, I immediately saw this young woman and I thought how beautiful she was. And I thought she could be someone that I'm like friends with here in the United States or somebody, it looked like somebody from my community, somebody that could be from Orange County. In other words, just like a normal young Catholic who was beautiful. And we sat down and we heard her family's story. So ISIS or Islamist militants came into their home in Iraq in the middle of the night and asked them the question, are you Christian? And they knew that their answer to that question could cost them everything, cost them their life, cost them their family, everything that they knew. And they responded, yes, we're Christian. And ISIS killed the brother in front of the family, kidnapped the sister and took her into ISIS slavery and warned the family We're going to be back in 24 hours and you have these options, convert or be killed. So rather than renounce their faith, which I think a lot of us in the United States, you know, we're not used to this kind of persecution. We're not used to suffering for our faith in this way. We would have think we would think like, okay, save your life, save your family, just say yes. And you can just have a secret Christianity, but rather than renounce their faith, they fled in the middle of the night with nothing but their passports in their hands. And when I saw this young girl and I heard that story, I couldn't understand why God would allow this kind of suffering, especially for someone so young and so beautiful. She suffered so much at such a young age. And then it occurred to me that this is actually the most powerful witness. The most powerful witness is being willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus and for the gospel and not willing to renounce your faith at any cost. So Those are just two examples of the millions of stories out of the persecuted church. Wow. The the word martyr comes from, in the ancient Greek, uh, witness. And it it referred to someone on trial who was bearing witness. And I hear a story like that, and I think, what what a testimony to the reality of, of their belief that it's not just, well, this is true for me, or you, you find your truth. No, no one would die for like my quote, my truth, whatever the heck that even means with these phrases we throw around. But this is like truth. That's like as real as the chair I'm sitting on right now that they're not willing to renounce And on a person, Jesus, they're not willing to renounce. It's heavy. It's, it's, I, I, it's beautiful and inspiring. I mean, we want we want to fight it, but obviously, right. But that kind of story, um, that fuels my faith. It yeah. adds to my courage. What's, it, what's this do for you? I mean, every time you, you, people go out and serve, they, a typical thing you hear is, I get way more out of this than I give. Uh, totally. What do, you, what do you get out of this, out of these stories from these martyrs and from encountering these people? Well, I can tell you that the first time in my adult life when I met Christians who were persecuted for their faith, it changed everything for me. I mean, I was raised in a very devout Catholic home. My mom always instilled in us the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus. We prayed the rosary together as a family. We went to mass on Sundays. And so I was raised with this beautiful 
um, you know, fate that was very personal to me. But of course, as we get older and we kind of start going through life, um, maybe we lose that like fire or sense of urgency. And I know for sure with me, that was the case. I kind of was going to mass on Sunday and I was always Christian my faith always meant a lot to me or so I thought, but I wasn't really living for Jesus. I wasn't living um, this sold out life. And long story short, eventually when I was 20 years old, I said a prayer. I knew that my life was empty. And so I said a quick prayer. I said, Lord, I know that anyone who's in you is this new creation. And I want that new creation life. And it was like within one week, God turned my life upside down, but it was for the better. It's so funny how, when we give God permission to like come in, we think maybe it'll be like a slow transition, but no, it's like, <laughs> like yeah. life um, upside down, like 180. So anyway, life got turned upside down. I ended up quitting my job and I called my grandma who again has been running this nonprofit organization for over 40 years. And I said, grandma, do you have any trips coming up? I just kind of want to get out of town and reset. I just quit my job. I need to figure out what's next. And she said, yes, we're going to Egypt in two weeks and you're welcome to come. So two weeks later, I was in Egypt and it was there for the first time in my adult life that I met Christians who were so radical, who loved Jesus so much that they were willing to literally die for him. And it wasn't just the older generations. It was young people my age and even younger who were so on fire for their faith. And it's when you're surrounded by Christians who are willing to lay their life down for their faith. It's like this feeling that you can feel their faith. It's like tangible faith and love and it radiates out of them. And it resonated with me so deeply. I said, who am I with my comfortable Christianity with my freedom where thank God I don't have to risk anything um, more or less. I don't really have to risk much in the United States for my faith. What am I doing with this gift? And I made the decision in Egypt that I never wanted to live another day not serving Jesus and not living fully for him. So that's what it did for me. It continues to convict me and to embolden me in my faith. And really, Chris, anytime someone hears this story, and this is why at For the Martyrs, we think it's so important to bring these stories. It's not only so Christians can be in solidarity for with the persecuted. It's not only so we can be their voice, but it's also because Christians in the United States and in the West need these stories. We need the bold witness of the persecuted because it emboldens and empowers us in our own faith. Here's the power of the grace that changed your life. And it's like, well, I don't even know what happened. All of a sudden, everything's different. It, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Uh, apart from the, the fact that this is all real. Uh, that's also shouted at me through what you just said, that you see people who are living on the verge of death. And that should scare you away. I mean, you should see them and think, well, I don't want to be like them. <laughs> but it's the literal opposite. I mean, and this is how... totally. The first Christians converted. It's, it's seeing all these people who are like, I'll, I'll give my life to this. And they're, they're going uh, into the Colosseum to be eaten by, by lions with joy and with hope and with love and all the things that everybody really wants. And it changes the world. Oh, I just, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of basking in what you just said. Um, well, it's absolutely true. And it's like what you said. It's like when you see that kind of witness, when someone is willing to lay down their life for the faith, you know, yeah. it's true. And if it's true, then it absolutely is risking a worth. It absolutely is worth risking everything for and sacrificing everything for. And, and people would die for a lie sometimes, right? But when you see the the, the really big draw is you, you go and you see the joy and the love and the hope and the and, and the 
all that. It's like they're, they're not just going and dying because they're zealots, but it's this overflow of love. Um, and as totally. inspiring as all that is, how, how, by the way, give us your URL again. I want people to go and see what you're doing and follow you on Instagram, your Instagram uh, account. Tell us again how to do that. And then tell us what's the call to action to end this suffering? What can we do? How do we get involved? Absolutely. Well, first to answer your question, what can we do? Again, it goes back to the number one request from the persecuted. One, we can absolutely pray for them. And not just with ourselves, not just remembering ourselves to pray for the persecuted, but we can inspire our communities of faith, whether that's in the Catholic church or whether you're Protestant, you can go to your priest or your pastor and you can ask them to remember the persecuted. And actually, um, I think many times people kind of glaze over it, but in the mass, we remember the martyrs. Every time the mass is celebrated, there is um, what's called Catholic martyrology. This is like cool Catholic theology. And it's actually um, the um, collection of all of the martyrs of the faith. And they're remembered on their feast day as part of the mass. So we have that really beautiful tradition in the Catholic church, but we can take it a step further. We can ask our priests to have specific prayer for the persecuted, or we can even, in, whether it's, you know, whether we're in confirmation or we're attending um, Bible study or a young adult group, we can make it as part of our group to pray for the persecuted, um, you know, just a short prayer at the end of the meeting or maybe at a certain time designated every year. So we can pray for them but we can also use our platform. We can share these statistics. You can share the stories from the persecuted church so that it continues to reach more people. Um, also, I think for the Christian, maybe in the United States who's thinking, okay, Gia, Chris, I hear these stories, but it seems a little far off. What does Christian suffering really in Egypt or in Iraq and Syria or China have to do with me as a Christian in the United States? But we know that scripture says that when one member of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. So we have this great obligation as Christians in the United States to be praying for, advocating, and being the voice of the persecuted around the world. Um, so you can raise awareness through your platform and your influence. You can pray for them. You can join us at March for the Martyrs, which is our annual event in Washington, D.C. It's going to be this year on September 30th. Saturday, September 30th. And you can learn more about our event and also more statistics, stories from the persecuted by going to our website forthemartyrs.com or following us on Instagram at March for the Martyrs. I, I have an insane speaking schedule, uh, but I think I might, if I'm not speaking somewhere that day, might hop on a plane and join you guys because that sounds like an incredible event that everybody we should We would love to of. have you. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll high five you there ever see you there. <laughs> um, how many people are going to that, by the way? Because I, I really want to see it grow. I'm guessing it's not huge yet. It's not huge. We're right around the 1,000 uh, participants, Mark. And it actually... We got to support this. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And, um, and actually, just a little tidbit, um, March for the Martyrs, the idea of it was born out of attending March for Life for so many years and seeing how powerful the March for Life is. I thought, how cool would it be if we could get a March for Persecuted Christians? How cool mm -hmm. would it be if we could get hundreds, thousands of Christians across all denominations coming together as one voice for the persecuted? So that's how the idea of March for the Martyrs came to be. Um, but yeah, so we actually started in California in 2020. Um, the height of COVID, our churches were shut down. 
I think American Christians were feeling, feeling the burn for the first time of this is what it would be like if Christianity was restricted in the United States. And so um, it started in Long Beach, California. We had an amazing turnout in Long Beach and we thought this needs to be brought to Washington DC to bring this issue to the forefront of the fight for human rights and to bring this to the attention of Christians all over the United States. And so we've been in DC. This will be our third year in Washington DC. Oh, I, I, Gia, you said uh, one phrase you used, how cool would it be? And then you did it. So I just want to call people watching us right now. <laughs> again, follow Gia's example here. I, I was thinking the other day, just examining my conscience and, and, and thinking of, wow, the, the ways I've said yes to God and the good that's come from it. And, and I thought, what if I didn't say yes in that time and that person's life didn't change or didn't meet my wife or whatever it might be? And then I thought, wow, I wonder if purgatory would be the place where you see all the things you didn't say yes to. And all the wow. great things didn't happen because you didn't wow. just step out and say yes. Um, so let's just, Lord, make me your yes man, right? I, I just help yeah, us to totally. respond in action. Um, wow, I'm just I'm just so inspired by all this, GM, by and by you. Uh, how do you stay safe when you're going to these places where people have been persecuted? Uh, I, I That's have, a great I, question. <laughs> you're an American which a lot of people who the places you're going to don't like. You're a woman, which is like a second-class citizen in a lot of these places. Uh, and we, we, it's funny how we talk about how, you know, anti-woman Catholics are. It's like, dude, is anyone not noticing? There's a large portion of the world where it's so anti-woman, it's crazy. And no one's talking about totally. this. Uh, I said I wanted to circle back to this, and I want to right now. The, the, just the growing tolerance for expressions of violence and and terrorizing of Christians. And we see this in soft ways here that we almost excuse, right? Uh, soft ways, like I, I just was talking to a young woman who was on a, my pilgrimage to the Holy Land, uh, who her boss wanted her to wear a pride flag. And she's not anti anybody. She's not bigoted. She's not even, she doesn't even fight these causes. Uh, but she just said, you know, there's, there's certain things that that has come to represent that are incompatible with my faith as a, as a Catholic. And then HR called her down the next day for, for not, she wasn't speaking against it, but she wouldn't wait. She didn't want to wear it. And she's, she might lose her job now. Um, and, and the response of most people would be, well, you guys kind of deserve it. Uh, another example in Canada, when those mass graves were uncovered on, on Indian reservations, Christians were blamed for uh, torturing and burying uh, these children and 68 churches across Canada were burned, uh, just raised, burned to the ground. And they just discovered very recently that it was a hoax, it was, that they dug and there were no, there were no bodies. And major news outlets were just accepting without any research being done. Well, th this obviously happened. Um, <laughs> and Trudeau, when he was talking uh, shortly after the, ch the churches were burning, he said, violence is not acceptable. However, this is understandable. This, this anger is understandable, but violence is not acceptable. What, what other group would we, would we say, um, you know, however, this is understandable. I, mean, I, I love when, when things happen. Uh, when, when, I'm sorry, I hate when things like this happen, like when, when there's a violence against an abortion clinic. I love the bishop's typical response to this is never, never, hey, guys, we understand your violence. We understand your anger because so many abortions have happened. No, the response is always, this is condemnable. This is evil. Violence, period. End of sentence. Evil. Stop done. Um, right. People don't speak with that much force 
when it's against Christians. And, and we see this growing here, and it seems to lay the groundwork for the things that we see happening in, in the Middle East or in China. It, it, does, that, does that sound like an extreme thing to say to you? Or do you also see the connection and think, you know, we're not as far from that as we think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now in the United States, we're privileged. We still have our religious freedom. Um, but there is a very real and sinister attack and sometimes not even sinister as we saw the churches burning. It wasn't just in Canada, but we saw, I mean, how many churches were vandalized and targeted, um, not just as a response to Roe versus Wade being overturned. But if you remember, there were other social justice riots and, you know, parades happening in the United States. And as part of that, they were given a green light for some reason to target Catholic what, churches specifically. What the heck? People, t- people right. tearing down Jay Sarah's, Geneva Sarah's statues. Like, dude, that guy was beloved by the Native Americans that he served. Yeah. Like, actually yeah, read the ridiculous. history. Right, but there's this totally. black and white, happy, sad, colonialism bad, uh, Native Americans good. And, and, and then, of course, the flip side is people who are like, no, the colonialism was all good, and the Native Americans just needed to be, quote, civilized. Like, there, there's an acceptance of stupidity on all sides of every issue today. It's, it kind of drives me a little nuts. But yeah, you, you do see this. And, uh, we see so, it. Sorry. And at, at For the Martyrs, we're, like, raising the, like, red flag and sounding the alarm, like, hey, Christians in the United States and in the West need to wake up, because this is Maybe we don't see persecution um, in the form of violence, but we definitely see intimidation and a growing anti-Christian sentiment that's giving the green light for violence, vandalism, um, and honestly, harassment of Christians, whether that's online or in person. And it's it's, it's very real, first of all. Second of all, it's not just these, you know, social justice groups, you know, some random people that are getting together with their friends and saying, hey, we're going to target Catholic churches. There are pieces of legislation that are being introduced that, um, for example, one of them, the Equality Act, that thankfully didn't pass. But if it were to have passed, people thought this just had to do with LGBT rights. This just had to do with gay rights. This was just about, you know, equality for everyone. But actually, this was a very sinister attack on religious freedom that was targeting Christians. If this bill had passed, it would have made hate speech, so-called hate speech, a crime that was punishable by imprisonment and revoking a 501c3 status, revoking of uh, permission to operate a church in the United States, which means that it would have given the government permission to monitor, just like China, monitor what pastors were saying, what was being preached, deeming things hate speech at, you know, whoever's, uh, right. you know, opinion. They could just say, or okay, this is hate speech. The church would be regarded as hate speech, even, even if the Absolutely. motive is Absolutely. I do want to share one more thing. I think this is important for Christians to know in the United States. So every year, the FBI releases um, hate crimes against the statistics on hate crimes against people because of their faith. So number one is Jewish people. They are, you know, by a landslide, the number one people facing hate because of their faith. Uh, Number two is Sikhs, believe it or not. Three is Muslims and four is Catholics. So Catholics are actually the number four most targeted with violence or um, hate crimes because of their faith in the United States, and it's continuing to increase. This is very alarming. Wow. Gia, the, you, the stories you're sharing about your experience, your firsthand experience of the persecuted who are experiencing in the next level in, in, the, in the Middle East and China, 
Um, <clears throat> what I take from that in, in response to the things we see going on in our own country around us is, is well, two things. One, um, let's, let's not just be quiet about this because it can get worse for our kids, for our grandkids than we realize. Uh, you know, the things that have happened all over the world can happen here, right? Uh, but two, it also inspires me to, to hold on to the faith, the joy, the love, uh, not giving in to hating my enemy. I mean, there's someone said that, about that somewhere, right? Uh, because I think a lot of people see this stuff happening uh, and dive into this news and become radicalized in their own way. And there's a, a growing number of Christians who are just angry all the time. And I, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not where the Lord's calling us. It's not going to change the world. Thanks for you. Thanks for this. Thanks for raising awareness. And, and thanks for holding the examples of these martyrs up in front of us to follow in, in our setting right now, in, in uh, wherever, wherever you live. And I also want to give a special shout out. I know uh, what, what inspired me to call you and have this interview is I was at World Youth Day. And I had multiple encounters with people who are from countries where there's a growing persecution of Christians. Uh, and not not what we're experiencing here, but they're risking their lives going to mass. I met Iraqi Christians. I met uh, guys from India where there's a really serious growing persecution. Uh, met one person from China who somehow has access to our, our media. Uh, they got through their Google screens. So I know some of you guys are watching the show. And I want you to know we see you and we love you. And we're grateful for your witness of faith. And whatever the heck we could do to stop the persecution and the pain you're going through, I, I don't, I, you know, I feel a little helpless sometimes. But like I, I want to do it, so I just want you to know that that I speak on behalf of everybody watching this that uh, you're not forgotten. And Gia, thanks also for the the reminder to pray to to have that spiritual union with those people. Uh, really grateful for your time today. Absolutely, thank you again, Chris, for giving a platform to the plight of persecuted Christians. It's conversations like these. Um, your show's willingness, your platform's willingness to share these stories that will hopefully encourage and ignite other people to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Great. And hopefully I see you at the March for the Martyrs. God bless you. Yes. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Chris Stefanik Show. Be sure to follow us every week. Subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends. And if you want to keep this work going, log on to reallifecatholic.com. Become a missionary of joy. God love you. We sure do. See you next time.